Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 121. Too many wives for Leo the Wise. Basil the Macedonian, emperor of the Romans, was in the mood for conquest, but his ideas for expansion were not simply based on wishes. He recognised that the empire he had forcibly seized and then enhanced was in a more manageable state than it had been for years. The borders were reasonably defensible. He had no idea to do a whole Justinian and tried to reclaim everything, but it seemed to Basil that a controlled and limited expansion was both desirable and, more importantly, achievable. First he looked east. In the east the empire actually had two enemies, the Paulicians and of course the Saracens. The Paulicians were dealt with quickly, they were overrun and most of those that were left alive fled into Arab territory. The Saracens though would be a more tricky enemy. The empires of Constantinople and Baghdad, at each other's throats when Leo the Isaurian was on the throne, were officially still at war, though nothing much had happened for quite a few years. Basil decided it was time to capture or destroy the fortified towns which had helped the Paulicians. After ravaging the territory of Melitene, he sent his general Christophorus with a division of the army to capture some cities while he himself crossed the Euphrates and caused a bit of trouble. When he got back, the emperor fought a battle with the emir of Melitene, who had succeeded in collecting an army to get in his way. Basil, though, was needed at home, so he returned to Constantinople, leaving Christophorus to carry on the war. The Saracen commander, Chrysokia, invaded Cappadocia, but was beaten by Christophorus at Agranes. Chrysokia was killed in the battle. His head was sent to Constantinople on a spike. Basil had vowed he would pierce the head of Chrysokia with three arrows, and when the head arrived, he did just that. Many of the defeated Paulicians left the Arab Empire and joined the Imperial Army. Soon afterwards, the Imperial Navy recaptured Cyprus. Basil now turned west, and soon his armies had taken all of Dalmatia and driven out the Saracens. Dalmatia was set up as a new theme. Now the Emperor had within his grasp the greatest prize. What lands lay over the sea from Dalmatia? Where was the Empire's spiritual home? Yep, Italy. By the time Basil the Macedonian had come to the throne, the empire had lost virtually all its territory in Italy. There was just a tiny bit left around the city of Bari. The Saracens had ravaged much of southern Italy, and in 871 Louis II, King of the Franks and Holy Roman Emperor, laid siege to the city. The eastern and western empires argued over who had won the victory. The argument got nowhere, but while the two empires were distracted, Lombards and Saracens pillaged the countryside. Southern Italy was a place of confusion and chaos. And into the chaos stepped Basil the Macedonian. Well, not actually Basil the Macedonian. Basil wasn't much of a commander. He was physically strong and brave, but he left most of the actual fighting to his generals, and it was a great general he sent to Italy to put an end to the chaos. Now, who thought big, but sent his best general to Italy to do the actual conquering? Ah yeah, Justinian the Great. So, to be absolutely truthful, into the chaos stepped Nicephorus' focus. Pretty soon, the cities of Otranto and Bari had been recovered for the empire, and they were used as bases for further attacks. After a few years, quite a lot of southern Italy was back in imperial hands. The general was applauded back in Constantinople. Great generalship obviously ran in the family. His two sons, Bardas and Leo, would be important generals in the reign of the next two emperors, and his grandson, Nicephorus Phocus the Younger would actually become emperor himself. Basil the Macedonian had proved himself to be the best emperor since Heraclius, and perhaps since Justinian himself. 
He didn't win back as much territory as they had, but these were different times. The Saracens and Arabs were much more powerful enemies than any Justinian's army had come up against, and so the reconquest was seriously impressive. Perhaps he wasn't quite the new Justinian, but he came pretty close. By the time the campaigns of reconquest in Italy were finished though, Basil had become a different man. As we know, he had four sons. His eldest, Constantine, was probably the only person in the world who Basil really loved. Constantine was his heir, and by 879 it was assumed he was destined to succeed the emperor before too long. Basil was approaching 70, and couldn't be expected to last much longer. Constantine though fell ill, and died sometime in September. Basil was devastated. Not only had his beloved eldest son died, the emperor couldn't stand his second son, Leo. He had once beaten the poor boy up for having an unsuitable girlfriend. He then made Leo marry one of the empire's most boring women, and later had him imprisoned after somebody told him Leo was plotting against him. He was about to have Leo blinded, but was persuaded not to, and Leo escaped with his eyes intact. These facts suggest that the rumours that Leo was actually Michael III's son may have been true. Basil never recovered from the death of his eldest son, and spent the last few years of his reign hunting and praying. He would often cry out madly, and could only be comforted by Photius, who had been made patriarch again after Ignatius died. He was eventually reconciled with Leo, but not until he was 74 years old. In August 886, Basil was out hunting as usual. He strayed away from the hunting party a little. It's said that he startled a mighty stag which was drinking at a stream. The stag looked up and charged at the emperor, catching his belt with its antlers. Basil was pulled from his horse and dragged 16 miles. When his companions caught up with him, he was cut free, but had suffered a stomach injury and died a few days later on the 29th of August in Constantinople. None of this seems very likely, but it's a nice story. A not-so-nice story, which also did the rounds, is that he was killed by the father of Leo's ex-girlfriend. Either way, Basil the Macedonian had been a great emperor, and when he died aged 75, he had led the empire for 19 years, recovering more territory than any emperor since Heraclius. Leo succeeded to the throne. He was just 20 years old, and about as different from Basil as anyone could be. While he was not as great a Basileus as Basil had been, the second emperor of the Macedonian dynasty would be brilliant in many ways. Basil the Macedonian had, in 19 years on the throne, done more to improve the state of the empire than any other emperor for many, many years. Unfortunately, on his death, he was handing power over to a man barely more than a teenager. Young emperors have not had a great track record of success so far in our story. There have been a few good ones, but not too many. Leo VI had another disadvantage. His father couldn't stand him, and although Leo had been given the best education possible, he had not been prepared for ruling at all. And even worse than that, he was supposed to share the rule with his younger brother. Basil much preferred his youngest son, and he wanted Alexander to be emperor. Leo took charge quickly. He immediately got rid of Photius by making up a conspiracy and having the patriarch tried and executed. He replaced him with his younger brother Stephen. Leo then set about putting his own men in important positions in the government, and the man who did best out of this was the father of Leo's old girlfriend Zoe. Stylian Zoutzes had possibly been involved in the death of Basil, but now he was Logothete and chief advisor to the new emperor. Leo VI did nothing to dispel the rumours that he was Michael III's son. In fact, he did quite the opposite. He had the former emperor's remains reburied in the imperial mausoleum in the Church of the Holy Apostles. 
When he came to the throne, Leo was already married to Theophano and they had a daughter. Theophano was very religious and very, very boring. Leo couldn't stand her. He really couldn't stand her. He wanted his old girlfriend back, but because he was married, this couldn't happen. He also wanted a son, but he hadn't had any luck there either. Alexander was just a young teenager and was already growing up to be a party boy to rival Lucius Verus or Michael III. He was completely uninterested in ruling and didn't get any more interested as he got older. In fact, he just partied more and more until it began to make him unhealthy. Leo put aside his disappointments and started to rule quite well. He was a very clever, very well-educated man and he wanted to govern well and make everything simple. First, with Stephen's help, he ended some of the disagreements between the churches so he could concentrate on other things. In particular, the one thing he was most interested in, the law. Basil had started off a project to reform the laws of the empire, but since he couldn't read and write, he had left most of the scholarly work to other men. Leo was more interested in doing a lot of the work himself. He was a very good writer and speaker, and it's because he was so well respected for his learning that he was given the name Leo Sophotatos, which roughly translates to Leo the Wise. The new law codes which were produced by Leo and his lawyers were far the most important since the days of Justinian. The Basilica, the new law book of the empire, was a fully updated version of the Codex and Digest produced by Tribonian more than 350 years earlier. More important still was the book called the Novels. This contained 113 edicts which were either changed old laws because the world had changed since Justinian's day or added new ones. A couple of these are quite interesting. In novels 46, 47 and 75, the Senate was finally abolished as a powerful body. The Senate had virtually lost all its power anyway, but in the novels it finally became completely powerless. The Senate still met and still debated, but it had no real authority anymore. Now the Emperor was all-powerful, only the Church was not subject to his absolute rule. There was one law, though, that came back to haunt poor Leo a few years later. The Orthodox Church did not allow people to get married a large number of times, even if their previous husband or wife had died. A second marriage was just about okay, but any more were forbidden. It wasn't a new law exactly, but it hadn't been written down precisely before. Leo actually wrote the text of the law himself. Oh dear. In the late 880s though, Leo wasn't to know quite how much trouble this law would cause him in the early 900s. Before there was any wife trouble for Leo though, there was some external strife to deal with. The war between the Empire and the Bulgars was completely unnecessary, but it was to take a lot of time and a lot of men to win it. Before we see what happened in the war though, we need to have a little peek into the Bulgarian Empire and see what's been happening there over the last few years. Relations between the Empire and the Bulgars had been good since Boris, King of the Bulgars, had converted to Orthodox Christianity. Boris abdicated in 889 and the king left his throne to his son Vladimir and went to live out his life in a monastery. Vladimir had different views on religion from those of his father and began the strange and hopeless task of bringing back paganism. He ordered his men to go round the kingdom smashing up churches because he decided that the Christian church was just a way of the Roman Empire trying to order the Bulgars around. Getting rid of Christianity was probably never going to happen, even if Vladimir was supported in Bulgaria, but it had absolutely no chance when a furious Boris stormed out of his monastery and had Vladimir blinded and deposed. He then handed the throne to his younger son, Simeon. 
The presence on the Bulgar throne of Simeon should have been good news for the empire. He had grown up in Constantinople and had been educated in the ways of the empire. For some reason though, Stilian Zautzis decided to force all trade between the Bulgars and the empire to be managed by two of his friends. These two friends immediately put up trade taxes called duties to very high levels. Not only that, they made all the trade go through Thessalonica rather than Constantinople. There were a lot of corrupt officials in Thessalonica, so the two friends became very rich and the Bulgars didn't make the same amount of money as they had before. Thessalonica was also much more difficult to get to than Constantinople and a lot of Bulgar ships sank. The Bulgars were hopping mad. They immediately sent an envoy to the Emperor, but Leo the Wise was not wise. He supported Stilian and sent the Bulgars away. Simeon was even more hopping mad and declared war. He invaded the Empire. Leo sent for his most experienced general, Nicephorus Phocus, who managed to hold off the invasion for a while. It was clear, though, that he wouldn't be able to hold out for too long. Leo decided he needed help and invited a tribe called the Magyars to invade Bulgar territory in return for a fat sack of cash. The Magyars, a warrior tribe from the cold steppes of Siberia, gladly accepted and invaded Bulgar territory, sacking, pillaging and looting. Two could play at that game though. Simeon invited another tribe from the place we now call Russia, called the Pechenegs, to join in the fun. The Pechenegs, having given plenty of Bulgar gold, attacked the Magyars who tried to flee back home. Their route was cut off by the Pechenegs and eventually they settled in the plains of Pannonia in an area we now call Hungary. Modern Hungarians are descended from the Magyars. Now the Magyars were gone, there was nothing in the way of the Bulgar advance and they defeated the imperial army in a great battle at Bulgarophagon. Nicephorus Phocus had had to return to the east and Leo knew his armies couldn't drive the Bulgars back. He sued for peace and Simeon agreed. It was a peace but it was an expensive peace, and Leo granted the Bulgars the right to trade in Constantinople again. The war was unnecessary and a complete disaster. Leo would have to learn to better deal with his neighbours. It was during the war with the Bulgars that Leo the Wise started having wife trouble. Now, we remember poor Claudius and his wife trouble. One married another man while still married to him, and the next one had him killed. Well, Leo's wife trouble wasn't the same as Claudius's wife trouble, Although he thought Theophano was boring, he generally got on well with women. No, Leo's wife trouble was that his wives kept dying on him without having sons. In 892, Leo's only child, a daughter, died. Theophano was devastated and left the palace to live in a convent. She remained there for five years before dying in 897. Leo gave her a beautiful funeral, but was probably quite relieved. He very quickly married his old girlfriend Zoe, the daughter of Stilian Zautzis, and settled down for what he hoped would be a long and happy married life. Pretty soon, Zoe had their first child, a daughter called Anna. In 899, Stilian Zautzis died. Leo had lost his most trusted advisor, but worse, much worse, was to come. Later in the same year, Leo's beloved Zoe also died. Leo was full of grief. He'd lost his partner, and he still didn't have a son to continue the dynasty. Despite being very, very sad, Leo knew he'd have to marry again. But Leo couldn't marry again, could he? Third marriages were banned by the Orthodox Church, and he'd helped write the imperial law himself. Leo was in a bit of a pickle. In fact, he was in a lot of a pickle. Only the Patriarch of Constantinople could give the Emperor permission to marry again. 
This would have been fine if Leo's brother Stephen had still been patriarch, but he'd also died a few years earlier. Leo went to see the patriarch, a man called Antony Corlias. Leo made a good case for the marriage. He had no son, he said, and so the empire had nobody to succeed him. The only person left was his useless brother Alexander, and he had no children either. The empire needed a successor to avoid civil war, which meant that Leo needed a son, and so Leo also needed a wife. Antony was a sensible man, and he realised Leo was right, so he granted the request and Leo began to look for a new wife. He held one of those strange bride parades and chose a beautiful woman from Fergia called Eudocia. They were married in a wonderful ceremony, but Eudocia was dead within a year. Leo was still only 35, still without a son, and still without any way of carrying on the dynasty. What was he going to do now? A third marriage was against the law. A fourth marriage was unthinkable. Leo decided to delay asking if he could get married again until he'd thought of a way around the law. This didn't stop him finding a new girlfriend though, and pretty soon he'd met one of the loveliest women in the empire. She was called Zoe, and she was the daughter of the Drungarius Himerius. She had the most beautiful black eyes and was given the name Zoe Carbonopsina, which means Zoe of the Cold Black Eyes. Leo didn't have time to think too hard about how to get permission to marry Zoe though, because in 902 there was trouble on the eastern border. Leo ordered his armies into Arab territory and created the new theme of Mesopotamia. The Arabs though raided imperial territory, not just on the eastern borders but also close to the capital. An Arab fleet under the command of a Greek traitor called Leo of Tripoli sailed into the Hellespont but was driven back by Himerius and the imperial navy. The Arabs made straight for the second city of the empire, Thessalonica. On the 29th of July 904, the city walls were breached and the city was sacked. 30,000 prisoners were taken and the city was left a smouldering ruin. The defeat was a disgrace, but Himerius took revenge. He met the Saracen fleet in battle and completely destroyed it. He then burned the Saracen city of Tarsus to the ground. The empire had to battle against the Saracens for most of Leo's reign but the borders held, despite the revolt of a man called Andronicus Ducus. The Ducus family was one of the leading families in the empire, and we will hear a lot more about them later in our story. But that's for much later. Next time, we'll find out if Leo the Wise manages to get round the conundrum of how to marry an illegal fourth wife. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please go to www.mythandhistory.podbean.com. If you'd like to leave any feedback, or just ask questions, or send me any message you like really, then you can contact me by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com, or friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.